Welcome to Welcome to the Uncharted Territories. I'm Max. And I'm Tina. And we're here to discuss Farscape Season 2, Episode 12. This is the second part of Look at the Princess, our three-parter. It's a much less horny episode than last time, so those of you who are maybe less comfortable with how much we talked about boning last time, there's... You mean our parents? Yes. Yes, both of our parents listen to this podcast. By the way, I did do a poll on our Twitter after the last podcast to ask if people thought that sci-fi in general was hornier than the average genre, and by... A two-thirds majority, yes, our, our listeners at least, think that it is hornier than other genres. Yeah. I just felt like I needed to uh, announce the result of that poll. I made the mistake of trying to watch Star Trek without you, and like half the descriptions for episodes from the original series are some beautiful woman tries to seduce Kirk in some way. That was just half the de- episode descriptions. I mean, I curated it for you for a reason. God, I watched this one awful episode, which was like, it was like, who's afraid of Virginia Woolf, but with like, space people and bad. I don't even know which episode you're talking about. There's like this space general who takes over the Enterprise and he captures Kirk and Spock and makes them have like a victory dinner with him and his concubine lady who claims that she's like the most beautiful woman in the galaxy and that she's the best dancer and she makes them watch her dance and he's like you're an idiot and your dancing sucks and i'm like oh my god this is the worst it's basically it's basically a less well done version of the episode of the office the dinner party which is basically a riff off of you know who's, who's afraid, afraid of virginia, virginia wolf which is by the way one of the best episodes of the office ever yeah the dinner party it's the logical end point for the office i There's so much I want to explain about what was happening with science fiction in this time period, but I feel like that needs to be its own video essay. (laughs) Its own time period being Star Trek in the 60s, not not Farscape in the 90s. Exactly, exactly. And maybe we'll get into that in our follow-up podcast to this one, Welcome to the Q Continuum, where we just talk about Q episodes of Star Trek. Although we'd be talking about 90s Trek there. Well, we would do the Trelane episode. Yes. Honestly, though, when we watched The Squire of Gothos and you were like, wait, so is that guy like a baby Q? I, I was I was so proud. I, I, I was I have nothing more to teach you. So Farscape. Farscape. We are talking about part two of a three parter. This is Look at the Princess Part Two, I do, I think. In which John Gets married. Yeah. He's like, gets married. But I guess he does get married. He does get married. I was going to ask you if you were surprised that the wedding actually happened. I kind of assumed that What's-Her-Face isn't going to survive. That is mostly me going off of uh, sci-fi. Before we get into that, Mm -hmm. I am curious, though, do you still think that now that we've watched part two? That she's not going to survive? Yeah, I feel like something's going to happen. Okay. Or... Honestly, John's going to get destatued, and she's still statued for 80 years, so it's not really something he has to worry about. I feel like she's going to be removed from the action in some way where it's not just him abandoning his wife on a planet to go do other stuff. Yeah, he's not Kirk. <laughs> so hey, hey, to be fair, she died. She was killed by a rock, it's true. If only we had a cure for blunt force trauma in the future. 
So in the last episode, there was a cliffhanger. As the episode ended, John was shot and he was definitely going to die. There was, he was shot and his face was melting. And then the next episode starts and that's just not a thing, apparently. It was like vibrating from the from the force of what was being shot they at put him. an effect over his face they did they yes. put an effect over his face and now they're like oops just kidding he wasn't actually shot at all or you know th- he stopped being shot and he's okay now and the reason he's okay is because the prince's fiance yes the evil guy who's gonna take the throne if john doesn't marry the princess uh, his fiance, it turns out, is a spy for, um... The peacekeepers. Yeah. Yep, she is a peacekeeper spy. She has been placed... She's, she's like a sleeper agent. She has been placed in this position to make sure the peacekeepers get to rule the planet, essentially, because this is an unaffiliated sebation planet so everyone is vying for control and she just assumes that john is the same that john is just another peacekeeper agent who's been sent to marry the princess so that essentially whoever comes out on top the peacekeepers will be in their ear yeah what kind of military organization wouldn't want to absorb a planet full of sex idiots i mean presumably they are rich in natural resources Okay. I don't know. I just, it seems like a lot of effort for not a huge amount of payoff. I mean, isn't the thing with the peacekeepers just that they breed like rabbits? Well, that's why you need planets with resources. Oh, so you think they're just going to wipe out all of the Sebation people who are currently on the planet and then take the resources for themselves? Yeah, or they'll just turn it into that planet like in Thank God It's Friday again, where they went to a planet where presumably everybody was happy and doing their thing and just brainwashed everybody into farming the one gunpowder plant that they needed. I think it's a little weird that she just assumes John is a peacekeeper agent. Like, that's... I mean, I guess they saw Scorpius there and they think that John is working with Scorpius. Okay, never mind. I guess it makes sense. I just... I feel like it's dangerous for her to have revealed herself before being absolutely certain. Yeah, she kind of sucks at her job. I mean, I guess she doesn't suck in that she managed to kill all of the people who were trying to kill John. But she's like, so you're also a Sebastian spy, huh? And John's like, as long as you have no follow-up questions, yes. Yeah, that's accurate. <laughs> and then he leaves. And uh, we get the opening credits, blah, 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 space people. I Honestly, at, at this point, it might be... It's not okay for John to be calling his crewmates strange alien creatures. You're the strange alien creature, John. You. I mean, I guess they're all alien creatures because none of them are on their home planet. Yeah. The only person who's not a strange alien creature, the only two people who aren't strange alien creatures... Pilot. No, Pilot has a planet. There's a Pilot planet. Oh. Moya and Aaron. They're the only two who are space natives who were born in space. Well, I'm assuming that Pilot kind of counts. We, Just, saw, we saw Pilot on his home planet. Yeah, but I mean, like, pilots are supposed to go in Leviathan. He's not out of place by being in space. Okay, so the three people who are not yeah. strange alien creatures are Aaron, Pilot, and Moya. And we'll say, like, two and a half, because Pilot and Moya are yeah. symbiotic. 
Why don't we just say, uh... Why don't we just not count Moya as a person? Because, uh... I, I was gonna say, why don't we count Moya and Pilot as the same amount of a person? Oh, okay. I was just gonna use that to segue into the mentioning the B storyline in this episode. Oh, yeah. The B storyline, which is just so completely disconnected to everything that's happening. It really is. It makes me wonder what was going on, because it's just... Virginia Hay and John Hardy and Lanny Tupo off on some other set doing a completely different story that honestly is kind of slow going. Real original series Star Trek vibes. When you said that, that was so spot on. I kind of want to summarize it and then not talk about it anymore because it, it just, it kills the pace of this episode. Yeah, it's like the Spike stuff at the end of the uh, season six finale of Buffy, where there's the ongoing thing with Dark Willow, and then, like, every so often the action gets stopped so we can see what Spike's up to, and he's just in a cave in Africa, because you don't need to be more specific than that. I just, I... When I wasn't watching this show with the intent of talking about it, I just kind of... My mind just kind of checked out during those scenes. So you want to sum it up real quick? Let's sum it up real quick. Okay, so last episode, Moya took off because she felt the call of her creator. Now her creator shows up, and as you said, it is some real original series vibes. It's some dude who has a mustache, I think, and barfs up smoke so you don't have to look at him that much. He vaguely looks like the ghost of Christmas present. Mm-hmm. It reminds me a little bit of that uh, original series episode with the angel that tells children to kill. Yes, it's it's very much that vibe. Anyway, he shows up. And you know, the episode where Kirk straight up kills two members of his crew and doesn't think about it twice. Well, I mean, he was under mind control. I, it's, it's not the kind of mind control that you get... <laughs> it's the kind of mind control where someone makes you think that you're teleporting people into... A planet uh-huh. instead of the vacuum of space. And he, he was like, whoops. Well, we got more men. It's fine. Have you read Red Shirts by John Scalzi? Uh, I read the first couple of chapters and it, it was one of those books where I'm like, I'm not sure if this is actually going to go anywhere. Okay. I think you need to pick it up. It's the kind of book that I would not have recommended to you a couple of years ago, but I think currently you've seen exactly the right amount of Star Trek to enjoy it. Okay. Anyway, space builder, mm. he tells he tells Zan that because Moya gave birth to a warship, meaning that Moya can give birth to gunships, she needs to be decommissioned. So he is going to kill Pilot and Moya, and Zan is not having that. She's very... But this is a living creature. It's a ship, a living ship. You can't oh. do that. And then when Moya was like... It's okay, Zan, the creator said so, and apparently we're super religious and we do what the creator says. Zan pivoted to, but Pilot's a living creature! And I mean, I'm mocking it, but they are. You can't just go around killing people. Mm. I mean, Builder. You, you, you shouldn't. Or if you are going around killing people, you should have better reasons than because she gave birth to a ship with guns, which apparently any Leviathan could do if you gave it basic medical care when it's giving birth. The reason that Moya survived giving birth to a ship when apparently no Leviathan has before 
is because Chiana's like, okay, let's just do a C-section. And they did, and it was successful. It wasn't even a C-section. It was a uh, episiotomy. Like, she just cut a little bit. Yeah, like, it seems more like the only reason the other Leviathans died is because nobody was assisting with the birth even the tiniest amount. So this seems like a bad reason to kill a, a, a living being. Also, I think that the only person who knew how to get the ships impregnated with gunships is that guy that Aaron was sleeping with that she got killed, so. It's not like it's going to come up again. I feel like that problem has been buttoned up, you know? And also, I mean, couldn't you just duct tape some guns onto a regular Leviathan? Like, I mean, you can't. Is, is there a reason why? I... I... I mean, I guess they were able to hook the defense screen up, so I guess since they were able to take the Peacekeeper tech and kind of cobble the defense screen onto Moya, now that you mention it, I guess there's no reason they shouldn't be able to figure out a way to install guns. Huh. I mean, it might be as simple as, uh, you know, those uh, medieval horse armors that people did yeah yeah and just do one of those but put a machine gun on top of it instead of just huh fake horns or whatever well that's beside the point yeah <laughs> that's the b story for this episode and now we are done with it and we don't need to worry about it until next time when it gets concluded yay <laughs> so um, in the main plot royal intrigue is happening and by royal intrigue you mean john is beating up the prince because John is, you know, pissed off that he got attacked by assassins in his bedroom. Yeah, he, he got even, incompetently assassinated. Yeah, even if they weren't actually, you know, shooting at him. Which apparently they weren't. Also, when we say beat up, we mean in the grade school way one beats up someone else. He, he literally has him by the nose. And he's like holding him up by his collar. Yeah, he's he's pissed off. Wait, did did we did we talk over the bit where he's just slapping him around or does we that did. come later? We did. John literally slaps him around the room just with his hands just slapping him all over the place. It's like that scene in Better Off Ted with um that evil magician Veronica was sleeping with. Mordor. Mordor. Mordor the Unforgiving. How he has that uh that martial arts style that's just slapping someone a lot <laughs> except this isn't played for comedy john's just slapping this guy around the room then the servant nanny all around right hand woman of the prince and the princess shows up rona the one who's played by ben browder's wife real mm. life wife the bone vampire yes although she's not a bone vampire here but i think that it's important she sees this and she sees John beating up the prince, somebody who she is very loyal to and feels is like a son to her. I think that's important motivation for what's going to happen later in this episode. Mm. Okay, so I, as loath as I am to admit it, I actually really like Dargo in this episode. Oh my god, I'm so glad you said that. Okay, so as we were watching this episode, I was thinking about how I kept telling you that Dargo gets better. And... 
I was waiting for it. There were there are lots of things about Dargo that have kind of happened that I've been like, I, there's a glimmer of the Dargo we're going to see in the future. But until we were breaking it down episode by episode, I didn't realize how much as soon as he hooks up with Chiana, they used it as an opportunity to just turn a corner and be like, this is what Dargo's like now. He's basically a different character now. Yeah, because he's not dumb generic warrior guy who loses every fight he's in. Uh, he has a sense of humor. He's got like a wryness about him now. Yeah. And he has a sense of joy. Not not like a lot of it, but he's not super dour, angry warrior guy anymore because now he's got Chiana to... Well, he's also not constantly doing the worst possible thing for no reason. After you pointed it out, it became very obvious that, yes, Guardians of the Galaxy is just a huge ripoff of Farscape, and Drax is very obviously Dargo because of the way, you know, Drax literally phones Thanos and, and tells him where to find them because it's the worst possible thing you could do in, in, in the situation. And I'm like, oh, okay. I do, I do have to say, if a bunch of people had a plan and they were right at the point of successfully de-gloving Thanos, John Crichton would not screw that up. Yeah, the whole universe should be a lot madder at Peter Quill. Especially since apparently, according to WandaVision, everybody knows exactly what happened in the entire fight. So speaking of Dargo, Dargo is yelling at Counselor Tino for, you know, not protecting John and letting him get almost assassinated. And Tino's like, hey, 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 shut up. He doesn't Some... believe that John was almost assassinated. What, murder? That's against the law. He... Yes! He's like, well, the Empress doesn't like violence, so her kids are not very violent. And even Chiana is like, I don't know, John. Your story sounds sketchy, and... I mean, one minute you're shot in the face, and the next minute some lady's just punching dudes. <laughs> Well, and that's part of the problem is that he won't reveal that he was saved by the fiance because he doesn't want to out her as a peacekeeper operative, which I guess he doesn't want to get involved. He's like, not my circus, not my monkeys. Yeah, but <laughs> I guess. And then I fought off a whole room full of assassins by myself does have a real and then everybody clapped quality to it story wise. I mean, to be fair, he does say that someone saved him, but he doesn't know who it was. But I do appreciate that when Chiana doesn't believe him, which the hell, Chiana, John always has your back. Mm. But when she doesn't believe him, Dargo's like, well, I believe him because I trust John. And as part of the turning a corner on Dargo thing. Yeah, it's nice that he's not being completely irrational for no reason. <laughs> I, I'm just thinking about the uh, the bounty hunter episode. Yes, yes. Till the blood runs clear. Yeah. So, Tino... Tells John, you know, no member of the royal family would ever engage in violence. And just then the princess comes up and punches him. Huh. Irony. Yeah. Also, is hiring assassins... I, mean, I, I guess it's instigating violence, but... Yes, it, hiring assassins is a violent act. <laughs> I'm just saying there's a reason you hire assassins. It's like, ah, oh, I, I can't get my hands dirty. I'm sure the queen has people assassinated. I feel like no matter where you are, having people killed is a part of running a country or planet or what have you. Mm -hmm. You can't assume a position of authority over 
a vast number of people without getting your hands bloody. It's why I would never want to be president. The princess does not believe that her brother hired assassins either. She's like, I know my brother poisoned my DNA to steal the throne, but that doesn't mean he would hire assassins to get the throne. Really? Really? This is where this is where it breaks for you. Although to be fair, she thinks that John staged this whole thing to get out of marrying her and I can see that John's only marrying her because the empress threatened him with turning him over to Scorpius, so. Yeah. Uh, she slaps him again and he's like, maybe this marriage is going to be interesting after all. He's, he's chagrined because he got mad at her and he essentially called her, a, you know, social climber isn't the right word. She was already born a princess, but. Mm-hmm. So that's when she slaps him. And you know what? She's going to be. I assume a better ruler than her brother. I mean, I just assume that she's going to be a better ruler than her brother because... Her brother's a wiener? Yes. And also her brother's being controlled by the Scarens. Eh. So, meanwhile, Aaron. Aaron has to deal with the fact that the man she loves, that she rejected, is going to marry another woman. And she doesn't want him to. And he doesn't want to because, you know, the whole Scorpius thing. And also she doesn't want him to be killed by assassins. <laughs> Really, it's not a good day for Aaron. I love how Shiana's trying to have girl talk with Aaron, and Aaron's just like, no. Nope. And then 70s porn guy comes over, and he's like, hey, Aaron, you want to have sex at me? And she's like, no. I don't want to have girl talk. I don't want to have sex. I just want to sit by this lake and glare at it. Just leave me alone so I can glare at a lake. Uh, by 70s sex guy, you mean Carzanova? Like Casanova, I, I told you. The God, last time. I know, but God, I do. I do have to point out that he has the floppy blonde hair and like white Logan's Run robe. He is. He looks like a lead in a 1970s sci-fi movie, like a really cheesy pulp movie. How seriously are we supposed to take Farscape? Because that name is that is that is. Normally the names are fine, but that's like right out of the Litigaria thing. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, he looks like he, as I just said, he looks like he's right out of a cheesy pulp sci-fi story. I feel like he, at least, the trope that he is embodying is meant to be sincere. But what I appreciate about him is that he's not, he's not pushing to be anything other than that. Like, he comes across Aaron knowing that she's having issues with everything that's going down and offering himself up as a distraction because, hey, if you want to get over your guy by getting under me, he's here for it. I just, he doesn't try to be more than he is, and I appreciate that, that Farscape, like, lets us have these big emotions around everything Aaron's feeling, and then this cheesy cheesecake guy is gonna flirt with Aaron. He's got a real hero of another story vibe to him. Yes, yes. He is definitely the hero of a different story. Of a different sexy story. You know, we've been watching a lot of Futurama, mostly to get the taste of disenchantment out of our mouth. And uh, he's he's much more likable and less cheesy, but... A benign Zap Brannigan. He's a benign Zap Brannigan. 
honestly, I was going to tweet about it, but then I was like, okay, I'm infinitely not qualified to tweet or to talk about it. But About disenchantment? No, I, I tweeted about that a lot. Yeah, I saw that. That's why I was confused. But Futurama has this very strange relationship with sex. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure a big part of that is probably... Is it wrong for me to assume an all-male writing staff? Because I'm just going into it kind of assuming an all-male writing staff. I think that it's strongly skewed male, if not all-male, yeah. One of the things I was specifically thinking about was how many robot sex workers we see in Futurama. Yeah. A disproportionate number of the female characters that we are introduced to who aren't members of the main cast are sex workers, and most of them are robots. Well, that's absolutely true. Um, I was also thinking about how this time through that we're watching it, it's really striking me how stereotypically misogynistic the relationship between Amy and Leela is. Because they're basically antagonists. Yeah, and... They shame each other around sex all the time. Like, there is there is no sexual liberation in Futurama. Well, Leela is guilted into sleeping with Zap Brandigan and then punished for it for the rest of the show. Yeah, it's kind of gross views around sexuality and women's sexuality in particular. The only women who are comfortable in their sexuality are women who are robots and therefore not completely human villains villains like mom yeah yeah and the amazons who are explicitly rapists yeah the sexual politics of futurama are bad and you're tempted to say something like oh it's a product of its time the sexual politics of the early 2000s were not great but we're talking about a sci-fi show right now that has, I think, really good sexual politics. Mm. I mean, Aaron isn't shamed for later on in the episode. Spoilers for later in the episode. Aaron's not shamed for deciding, all right, she's going to go off with Carzanova. I mean, honestly, like you talked about last episode, even, I, I, I don't want to say earlier because I'm not sure when in comparison, but... Even Star Trek The Next Generation kind of handled this sort of thing better, like with the sexy sex lady who lived in a sex box. Yeah. Yeah, and that was that was pre-Futurama. Yeah. I think that one of the things about Farscape that strikes me for its time period is that it's comfortable about women having sexual agency. Yeah, I mean... Even though Aaron did kill that guy. That's not a great lesson. Well, there's a running thing in Farscape where women kill men... With sex. Zan did too. Huh. And, Chia- a... and Chiana did too. That, that guy in the corpse planet. What a weird connection to our Once Upon a Time podcast. <laughs> oh, oh my god. We haven't talked about vaginas of doom in so long. So maybe maybe that's just a thing male writers are for, or writers are afraid of. But mm. I, I think I have a lot more sympathy for the characters here, right? Like... I, I don't think Zan is a bad person for killing that guy during sex. Mm. I think she's a bad person for other reasons, but that's the thing about her I like the most. Honestly, I it's a minefield of complicated politics around it, but I do sort of like the 
utilitarian way Chiana treats her own sexuality. Mm-hmm. That for her, sex is not a big deal, and it is just... I don't want to use her catchphrase because, no offense to her catchphrase, but I really don't like it. What, the kiss or kick or kill? Yeah, it it seems... It's not her catchphrase, it's the defining thing she says early on. She doesn't repeat it. Yeah, but it seems like the character is giving an elevator pitch for herself. That is kind of what it was. <laughs> but... I feel like Chiana thinks of sex kind of transactionally yeah no that that's that's what i mean yeah and she's not shamed for it but you know it's either and and not necessarily in a trading sex for material goods but also like in a social transaction like i like this person you know this is this is the stage in the relationship like it seems to be a transactional thing for her and aaron views sex recreationally like that's just what she does when she needs to work off some steam with a guy that she likes i mean it's it's um the release from future man yes and the thing is neither of these women are shamed for their approaches to sex and neither of them have an approach to sex that is you know hung up in weird moral puritanism Mm. and xantis has sex with everyone whenever uh, Zan is the one who has sex for Zan has sex for pleasure, and she's just like anyone who's willing, she's down. <laughs> Zan is DTF. So sorry, Farscape. Back in Farscape, it's so funny. You were like, this episode's less horny. We're gonna talk less about sex, and then immediately went back on that. <laughs> uh, but John is talking to his fiance, the princess. Yeah, princess, what's your bucket? And then a death orb flies into the room. I love this because the death orb flies into the room and... It lets them have a conversation about what the death orb is. John's like, is this normal or is this something to worry about? And the princess is like, this is something to worry about. And John, it it looks like the little trainee ball that they use in Star Wars. And John even makes that reference. But, you know, that's what it looks like. And uh, it releases the poisonous gas, and they realize that they are locked in the room, and boy, boy is Princess Catrala's face red now for <laughs> accusing John of lying about the assassination attempt. Or, I guess it's blue because they're being flooded with a gas, but boy would it be red if she could breathe. I mean, I guess it's not the worst assassination thing in the world, because it seems like it's working pretty well, mm-hmm. but... This seems like a, it, it seems like not the most efficient way to kill someone. I mean. Well, no, it definitely would have killed them. And it would have left no trace because the smoke would have dissipated. It would have been like the icicle knife of space murders. It just for some reason reminded me of the, uh, that scene in the, in Star Wars episode two, where the assassin has a. Has a gun that shoots snakes into Queen Amidala's room and then the snakes try to kill her. Where it's like, it feels like there was an extra unnecessary step (laughs) there. Like, if you're pointing a gun at someone, maybe just fire the gun. Maybe just have a gun that you shoot at them and they die, not a gun that shoots snakes that crawl across the room. Yeah, I guess. But, I mean, you don't just want to kill them in this instance. You want it to look like an accident. But they were just in a room and they accidentally died. <laughs> Whoops. Well, in this case, I guess you want it to be untraceable, unsolved. But Rona, the 
servant, caretaker. Ben Browder's wife. Ben Browder's wife comes and rescues them because she cares about Princess Catralla like a daughter and she's not going to let her die. And Princess Catralla is like, wow, John, guess you were right. My bad. The Empress is moderately upset that someone tried to assassinate her daughter. I mean, I think personally I would be angrier if someone tried to kill my daughter than this, but she's like, ooh, that really bakes my biscuits. Also, she refuses to believe it's her son. It's like, hmm, my daughter is next in line for the throne, and I already know that her brother poisoned her DNA so that he could take the throne, but why would he kill her? Rigel is there and Rigel is with, with the Empress and Rigel's just not having any of this. He's like, are you fucking kidding me with this? And she's like, hey, look, I know you were King Big Shit back on Fish Planet, but you don't have 10,000 worlds under your control anymore, dude. You're a small fry in a very, very large pond. That's a fair point. But he decides to get her into a conspiracy with him. They are going to... Send John up into orbit. They are not going to tell anyone that they are sending him out there with guards to protect him. They're going to let everyone, including Dargo and Chiana and Princess Catralla, think that John just bolted. Which, I... It doesn't seem like the best plan. No, no. How's that wedding going to work out for Catralla, like... You're going to be like, surprise, you're you're actually getting married. Yes. said he didn't run away. Yeah, basically. Yeah. So the Empress is going to send Rona, who has already saved Catralla once, and mm. also the prince. She's going to send her with John to keep him safe. And she says that this woman is above reproach. It's impossible to even conceive that she would ever betray them. Wow. Wow, wow, it's just the empress of good judgment here. Yeah, Gilligan cut to her getting paid by Scorpius to uh, take out John. Yeah, Scorpius is gonna scorp. Scorpius gonna scorp. Is it just me, or has he shifted into being a way more comedic character? He is having a lot more fun with the role now. He is a scenery-chewing tea with the enemy villain now in a way that he was just like the scary guy who tortured you before he has become a much more fun antagonist also i was like is he psychically connected to john is this john's brain scorpius now getting imposed on regular scorpius uh he is not but the scorpius that is in john's brain is not that far from scorpius you know as he actually as his personality actually is mm. Also, while he's having this conversation with Rona, his, uh, the little cooling rods in the thing that goes into his brain are being changed out. Gross. Yes, but it's also very much like Darth Vader in Empire Strikes Back getting his helmet changed out while he has the conversation. Hmm. So I'm assuming he's not the first, whatever the hell the Peacekeeper race is called. Sebation. I'm assuming he's not the first Sebation scare and crossbreed because this sort of suit seems like this sort of thing would take a few attempts to get right. I think he actually is, and I'm pretty sure the suit was developed for him. But I think they had to do some... I, I think it took a while before the suit was perfected. Ugh. Yeah. That's like that thing where you're like, okay, so did Cyclops just keep his eyes closed for the first however long it took him to 
figure out the whole Ruby Quartz thing or... Yeah. But, I mean, I think we knew that Mr. Sinister had those on deck for, you know... Yeah, they were ready for him. So once Rona leaves, Scorpius tells his henchmen that, you know, after they have John captured, they need to kill her. No witnesses. So... Honestly, he... He's not subtle when he talks later in front of her about how obviously he's going to have her killed by his men. So I feel like just everyone on this planet is an idiot all the time. It's just a planet full of sex idiots because otherwise, how do you not pick up on the whole, and I'll make sure my men give you an extra reward? (laughs) Right? Well, you know, John's not being too right either because she comes to the ship and she's like, um, last minute change of plans, you need to put this thing into the console. And John's like, well, we specifically said that we weren't going to change any plans. That was kind of the heist thing, where if anything changes, we call it off. And she's like, but no. And John's like, okay. Sure, why not? (laughs) I mean, come on, John. Stop trusting everyone. Even if she is your wife. Stop trusting your wife, she's a bode vampire. I'm disappointed that we didn't get more Bone Vampire, but that makeup also looked like it would be really hard to do, so. Yeah. By the way, every time she shows up, she shows up in, like, really intense makeup. Poor Bren Bradder's wife. Mm-hmm. Kid didn't have to have any makeup on at all. Yeah, right? So, when we cut back to the planet, John has already gone missing, and we cut straight to Dargo beating up Rigel because... This was a terrible plan, and now John's missing. And maybe if Rigel had shared the plan, this wouldn't have happened. Also, Chancellor Shortbangs is there. Yeah, Counselor Tino. So, yeah, nobody is happy with Rigel. It's funny because he wasn't betraying John here. He really was trying to help, but it still came off just the same as when he betrayed them last season. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe just don't let Rigel do stuff. Well, to be fair, none of them were involved in this. If they had been, they definitely wouldn't have let him do this. Mm. Tino, as he's, Counselor Tino, as he's leaving, kind of gives Aaron a look and he tells her, yeah, I know, it sucks to be left behind. They have a moment of bonding over the fact that the person that he loves is marrying the person that she loves and neither of them can do anything about it because politics are terrible. They're both the, what is it, the Baxter Yeah, except not really, because... They're the inverse Baxter. Yeah, they're they're the ones that the people should be with, but they can't be because, you know, politics are terrible. Mm. This really reminds me of the part in the Sookie Stackhouse Mysteries, the books, not True Blood, Mm -hmm. where Sookie is dating Eric the Vampire, and he has to marry this other vampire for political reasons, and Sookie's like, I'd really like you to not do that. And he keeps hinting because she has a fairy wish. He keeps hinting that she should use the fairy wish to, like, get him out of it so that he doesn't have to do it. And finally, when she's not taking the hint, he's like, just use your fairy wish. And she's like, that's a fairy wish. How about you just grow a backbone? 
and say that you're not going to do it because politics are stupid. Yeah, like, I have this massive favor from an incredibly powerful magical being saved up. I'm not going to use it to avoid a socially awkward situation for you. I mean, as someone with anxiety, I feel for Eric, but also, yeah, he does need to just suck it up. I don't know. I feel like it's kind of here Tino is not... Tino is understanding that this is what Katrala has to do, but also, like... Maybe you don't have to be Empress Katrala. Maybe let your terrible brother take over and the two of us can, like, take off. Just a thought. Yeah, I mean... I don't get why it matters that it passes through a bloodline if all of your ruling knowledge comes from being a statue anyway. Honestly, all monarchy is ridiculous. Like... I'm not going to criticize it as a plot hole here because it, it it exists in reality too. But the idea of the idea of heretical rule is itself bizarrely nonsensical. Like because you came out of this specific gene pool, you're automatically better fit to rule. That doesn't make any sense. I mean, it can work in fantasy where like hey, if you're part of this specific gene pool, you have literal magical powers. Okay. In that, in the narrow instance where you actually... Where there actually is that sort of advantage. Yeah. And even then, magical uh, powers probably could be applied better than, say, you know, essentially really high-level bureaucracy, right? Yeah. Unless, I guess, you have high-level magical bureaucrat powers, but it never seems to really pan out like that. Hey, listen. Strange women lying in ponds distributing swords is no basis for a system of government. Anyway, back on the ship, John and Rona are having a conversation about how much he does not want to do this, but he's going to, and... He lives far from home, and... This is just going to be him losing everything again, except more permanently. Yeah, he talks about all the things he left behind on Earth. He kind of already gave those things up. And and he says that, you know, he gave them up and his priorities changed. But now he's he's essentially giving up the hope of ever coming home again. And Rona talks to him about how her species is specifically very anti-materialistic. They don't collect possessions or anything like that. I feel like they put this in here specifically to let us know that it's not because Scorpius is paying her that she is doing this. I mean, maybe they're doing it to highlight the hypocrisy that she's betraying John, but I am leaning towards she is betraying John because he beat up the prince. Anyway, it's time for a very catty bathroom girls conversation. (laughs) Speaking of Amy and Leela's relationship on Futurama. Although, at least in this case, it makes sense because they're both trying to be the empress. It is the princess and the fiancé. And they're both just giving each other digs about, you know, how terrible the brother is. But the fiancé is going to marry him anyway. And how John ran off because the princess can't keep a man. And then Aaron shows up, and she's like, your politics are stupid, and I hate you. Yeah, it is kind of funny. She just grabs both of the back of their heads and shoves their faces into the mirrors, and she's like, you both look like idiots. Tell me where John is. Also, there's a little bit of... Yeah, I don't like she criticizes their overly made-up faces, 
which feels gross and not like other girlsy, but... To be fair, they are wearing clown makeup. Yeah, at some point they made the decision that on this planet, there's a... Heavy makeup is the aesthetic choice. Mm. So the Scarin is talking to the prince, and he's all like, Hey, start trusting me, because we got rid of John. You're going to be emperor. You need to, like, be strong. Stay strong. Keep the faith. Jesus space Christ, dude. I have done so much crap to put you on the throne. You need to be a man for ten goddamn seconds. And then Shiana sneaks up on them and is like, have you noticed this place has no doors? So I can, like, hear everything you're saying? Uh, yeah, this, this place does seem like it was built for maximum political intrigue. Yes. Or maybe minimal political intrigue if everyone can hear everything all the goddamn time. It's like the entire palace is one of those whisper chambers where everything you say can be heard in the entire room, except it's the palace. I mean, honestly, I feel like that would probably be a pretty good way to curtail assassination talks. I mean, you'd think. Mm. Anyway, when Shiana yells at them, this causes the Scarin to realize that they don't know what happened to John either, so... So if John is having some sexy hostage time... I'm kidding, it's regular hostage time. <laughs> I was gonna say, this is not... Is that what you think sex is? <laughs> yeah, no, another ship docks with their ship and comes on board, and they fight, they take John hostage... It's bad. And then Sean realizes, oh, you're working for Scorpius. You have no freaking leverage here at all. I do I do love just John being like, you know, I'm I'm not a peacekeeper, right? I'm not Sebation. And you need to keep me alive or Scorpius is going to strap you into that, you know, the worst chair ever. The Aurora chair. So... You can't use your weapons against me because you don't know what'll kill me. This is a classic scene. He, he, Bracca, Lieutenant Bracca, Scorpius's henchman, is holding him at blaster um, point. Yeah. And trying to threaten him. And he's like, shoot me. Go ahead, do it. Because John is, and he's like, this is actually really good acting on Ben Browder's part. He's got this like tinge of hysteria where we feel like he's bluffing, but also he's definitely not. Mm. Like, he knows that they're not going to shoot him, but also he would way rather go back to the Aurora chair. Sorry, the reverse of that. He would way rather get shot and killed than go back to the Aurora chair. I I also, I just, I love him talking about what a delicate little flower he is. He's like, <laughs> that's the thing. You don't know what you can do to me, so I have all of the advantages here. Right, because when Brock is like, well, I'll just shoot you in the leg then, and John's like, oh, oh, you just want to hit my, you want to nick my femoral artery and I'll bleed out because I'm a puny human? Is that what you want? Yeah, no, John is a weak, pathetic man, baby, except in a, in a positive way. Yeah. You know, I think we talked a bit in the first season, and we haven't really talked about it in the second season. About how John is a kind of, in a lot of ways, non-toxic masculinity. <laughs> and that's a really good example of that. Also, another thing I like about Farscape, and, you know, speaking of this scene, another thing I like about Farscape is that the PTSD that John has from the Aurora chair doesn't just get swept aside when he's rescued. You know, like the episode of Deep Space Nine where O'Brien is held in prison 
for what feels like a decade to him, even though objectively it's only, you know, a day. And then when he comes out, he's shook. But then by the next episode, we don't talk about it ever again. What's important is John realizes that Bracca has no power here. He takes control of the ship because what's Bracca going to do? Shoot him. And he starts making moves with the ship that appear threatening to the planet, which, remember, doesn't know that he's up here in orbit, and threatens to shoot him down. And he's basically like, all right, we're all going to get shot down now. How's, how, how do you like them apples, Bracca? Bracca does not like them apples. He doesn't. He doesn't. So, Ben Browder's wife accidentally gets electrocuted to death because, I don't know what it is with spaceships and sparks, but, like, anything goes wrong, sparks everywhere. I feel like this is the first time I've seen those sparks actually kill someone, though, so. Yeah. Because What's-Her-Face gets hella electrocuted. It's really amazing how much damage spaceships seem to express internally when they are shot at externally, because you'd think that there would be a lot of insulation between what happens outside of a spaceship and what happens inside of it. That is true. That is very, very true. So Bracca takes the only space helmet and jumps out of the ship. So now John is trapped in the ship. There is another ship, the one that was, you know, the original transport, because now he's on the ship that docked with the transport. Mm. So there's the original ship, but this ship has unmoored from that ship. So he can't get to it without going out in space, and he has no helmet. And hey, I totally saw this exact scene in Guardians of the Galaxy. Hmm. Oh, also Scorpius starts brain-talking to him. Yes, yes. Scorpius tells John that he has to save his own life. That John needs to stop, be calm. Scorpius is part psychic, right? Because we've established that those lizard dudes are psychic. Scorpius is in no way psychic. Oh, okay. I thought maybe them establishing that the fire-breathing lizard dudes are also psychic because... Someone can't stick to a goddamn theme. No, that's a perfectly good thought for you to have, but I am telling you that Scorpius is in no in, in no manner psychic. So whatever John is hearing in his head, it's not Scorpius communicating with him. Hmm. But he does hear Scorpius telling him he has to save himself, he has to figure out what to do, and John decides that what he's going to do is jump out of the ship and then fling himself to the transport in the, whatever, three seconds that a human can survive in space before they get to the transport. And this scene was probably really cool looking at the time, but it really, really, really reminds me of when Phil and Andy were messing around with the green screen to create that video for Beth and Modern Family. Yes, that's exactly what I was thinking of. Well, because this is the scene that you would create whenever you got your first green screen and it's it's very recreatable with a moderately inexpensive setup so but john successfully flings himself through space into the butthole of the uh spaceship he was supposed to be on and he is safe he is safe but he is messed up i appreciate that they like did the makeup to show all of the like capillaries in his eyes that have exploded and stuff like space is not a fun place to be no no it is not especially not without a helmet especially not without a helmet you were probably too old for the magic school bus uh cartoon me yes that is true okay i feel like the one 
thing everyone who grew up with it remembers is the space episode where one of the kids ends up emphasizing a point by taking off his helmet and his head instantly freezes. It's like... What? Yeah, it is like the most nightmare-inducing thing that that very, very kid-friendly show ever did. Anyway, when John gets back down to the planet, they have this, like, clear medical mask over his face where they're, like, with, with Christmas tree lights on it to show that they have some sort of device to heal all of the damage he took. Hmm. It's the healing face plastic. Yeah, yeah. And Dargo comes to have, like, a bro talk with John, because they're bros now. And this is the most I've ever liked Dargo in the show. Yeah. And Dargo is like, he tells John that they've tightened up security, John is going to be safe, but... Mm. <laughs> it's like, what, the fourth time they've tightened up security on John? Right. But he also, like, gives it to him straight. He's like, look... Everybody's going to be vying for control. This is going to be a thing. And this is how you're going to not get killed by Scorpius. And it sucks, but this is where you are. Like, it, it does seem like this is the best thing for you to do. What's that thing about, you know, not wanting advice, just wanting someone to acknowledge how much the situation you're in sucks? Yeah. Yeah. You're right. That is kind of what's going on here. And Aaron is kind of listening from the doorway because she still wants John to figure out a solution and fight. John's like, look, I can stay here and get married or I can not get married and be killed by Scorpius, be handed over to Scorpius by the Empress. And Aaron's all like, third way. There has to be a third way. She doesn't believe, not to compare her to Kirk, but she doesn't believe in a no-win scenario. God. She was happy for a minute when she thought John was running away, but when it turns out that it was all part of a plot, she hates that he's giving up. Like, that he's just gonna go through with it. Marry someone he doesn't love. Live a life he doesn't want. Okay, like, I know, you know, rest in peace to the other peacekeepers, but I'm different for Aaron. Mm -hmm. But also, marriage isn't like... A thing that has significant weight for peacekeepers. I mean, honestly, I don't feel like this should be a thing. I mean, I know. Are you suggesting that Aaron stay here and just bone John? Yes, honestly. But I guess it might be a thing for her because it was like a big secret deal for her that her parents were married. It, okay, it's not that her parents were married. It's that they loved each other. And remember, okay. it's a big thing for Aaron that she was in love with that guy, that she has the capacity to love someone and have a relationship with them that, like, is meaningful. Okay, but then marriage should still be basically meaningless to her. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess the big point is that she's going to be hella old when John stops being a statue. Yeah, yeah, she's going to be hella old when he stops being a statue. Because he's going to have to be a statue for 80 years to observe a living statue. A statue. A, a living, living statue. statue. To observe the council of big thinkers or whatever for 80 years so he won't suck when he's the Empress's impregnation man toy. I think the, that he has some sway. He's, he's more than just the royal consort. He's the emperor. I was going to say that doesn't make any sense. Then why, then why do you need the genetic person at all if you're just throwing random dudes into the equation? Well, the child will still be genetically the emperor, the princesses. No, I know, but like, 
it seems like there's no point in it being a genetic thing. Oh, well. Like, why does she need to be genetically related at all? Why? If the important part of the ruling process is being a statue for 80 years, you could just do it to anyone. I'm... I mean, I already believe that it's nonsense, so preach you to the choir over here. Yeah. The, yeah, no. Erin leaves and she goes fi- She goes to find Carzanova and is like, hey, uh, he's, he's being uh, dressed by his valet. And she's like, hey, I'm going to go hike in the Barren Lands. You should come with me and we should have sexy hiking times. And Carzanova, like... Runs out, not even fully dressed yet. He's like, yes, let's do this. Sexy hiking times. Because if there's anywhere you want to have sex, it's the barren lands. <laughs> right? Like, he's probably got a bed in his fancy apartment. Just have sex there. Who cares? Well, I mean, Aaron, Aaron needs to get out more energy than just sex would get out. She needs to do some, some intense climbing and hiking, too. Mm. So... Back at the palace, John is having a threatening conversation with Prince Guy. Prince Clavor. Prince Clavor. He, he's like, hey, so people really suck at assassination, huh? Have you ever noticed how bad you are at assassinating me? Maybe you wouldn't be a good king. You ever think about that? You ever think, why do I want to be king? I mean, I know he wants to be king so the fire-breathing psychic lizard guy doesn't kill him. Uh, yeah. Speaking of, Scorpius shows up, and John's like, hey, guess what? I decided I'm going to stay on this planet and be the goddamn emperor, and you are banished from the planet, so... Meh. Done. We're done with this. And then they get married. Yep. It's a wedding. The wedding happens. And much to uh, much to the uh, disappointment of everyone there. Like, we see Counselor Tino being upset. We see Scorpius being upset. John and Catralla aren't super thrilled. Prince Clavor is, like, fuming. So, wait. I think the only person who's happy about this marriage is the peacekeeper sleeper agent who's engaged to Clavor because she thinks that John is also a sleeper agent and that the peacekeepers are going to win. God. So they successfully get married and Princess What's-Her-Face gets frozen in a very dignified position. Yes, I I just have to say about the wedding, Mm -hmm. it's funny that even on this alien planet they have the... If anyone knows why these two shouldn't be married, speak now or forever hold your peace. It's a bad part of a wedding. And yet they have it here. But yes, the princess gets uh, frozen in carbonite in her dignified princess position. And then John, you know, John goes after, you know, fist bumping Darko and he's all like sticking his tongue out and putting his middle fingers in the air. Okay, so I, I love this. Darko's like, I have good news for you, John, and bad news. The bad news is you're about to become a statue and when you come out, everyone you know will be dead. And the good news is I am having amazing sex with Chiana. It is pretty great. <laughs> it is the line that basically made me be like, okay, okay, Dargo, you can stay. John tries to do a like throwing peace signs. Well, he, he's specifically doing the Richard Nixon peace sign thing. Yeah. He's specifically trying to be Nixon. 
But it turns out this is kind of a reflection on the conversation he had with Braca, right? It turns out since he's not actually a sebation, the freezing process isn't the same with him as it is with other people. And when he gets frozen, his face is in this like super pained scowl. It's it's horrifying looking. And also I maintain that it is a reference to the pose that Han Solo is in when he is frozen in carbonite. Yeah, he... He he's he's in pain, but he's not gonna not make a pop culture reference. <laughs> oh, very true. So, so that's the end of the episode. John is frozen in agony. Maybe he's a dead statue person. Who knows? So we are not doing our segments yet because we're in the middle of a massive three-parter, which is basically a big two-hour movie. Mm-hmm. The only segment we're doing is Max, who has never seen the show, is telling us what he thinks is going to happen in the conclusion of the Kiss the Princess saga. Okay, so I don't think that the, uh, I don't think the Carbonite thing or whatever is going to work on John. Mm-hmm. I think him being human, it's going to mess up. Uh, let's see. I do think that a child is going to be created at some point, just based off of sort of hints I've got about this episode. Mm-hmm. And I think that the princess is going to die. All right. So, princess dead, John not dead, because obviously there's like four more seasons of this. <laughs> yeah. And a child is created, but possibly one that John doesn't know about. Because you know, because you don't think John would leave his child. No, or if he did, I I'd think that you know, he'd be spending the rest of the show trying to find him. But in a proactive way, not in a lazy-ass Dargo way. And that will about do it. Yeah, I think that will do it for this episode. Mm-hmm. Our show is partially listener-supported. If you want to be one of the supporters, you should head over to our website, www.welcometotelevision.net, and click on our Patreon link. We'd like to thank our current $5 and above patrons, Beryl, Patricia, Sam, Cassidy, Alex, Alicia, Ryan, Maracruz, Rosa, Javier, Benjamin, Kyle, and Kate. If you'd like to support the show in other ways, you could always rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find the show. If you want to talk about this episode, or any episode, or any episode of any television show, you should join our Facebook page, Welcome to Television. We can also be contacted at I Love TV Zines on Twitter or at I Love Television Zines at gmail.com. So until next time, I'm Tina. And I'm Max. And this has been Welcome to the Uncharted Territories. Mm-hmm.